This is the Moira Pentecostal Church podcast, providing you with sound biblical teaching. We hope you will be encouraged, challenged, and blessed by this ministry. So I want you to come with me, please, to the little book of Zephaniah. I know you all know exactly where that is. You don't even have to look. Your fingers will just go to that. So if you go to Malachi, which is the last book of the Old Testament, go backwards, Malachi, Zechariah, Haggai, and then Zephaniah. So it's the fourth book back from the end of the Old Testament. Zephaniah, and it's chapter 3. And just want to read verse 17. The Lord your God in the midst, the mighty one, will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you with his love. He will rejoice over you with singing. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you with his love. He will rejoice over you with singing. If I was to ask for a show of hands this morning, how many remember Star Trek? Probably most of you could put your hand up. Maybe some of the younger ones couldn't, but most of you could. You remember how the, the Starship Enterprise was manned uh, with people from all over the world, different nationalities, and each one of them were experts in their field. However, one of them was an alien from another planet, Mr. Spock, played by Leonard Nimroy. And Spock was terribly clever, very articulate. He was highly efficient, but he had one serious flaw. He was emotionless. He was devoid of any natural affections that we as mere human beings would have. He was never angry. He was never sad. He was never glad. He never laughed. He never cried. He couldn't sympathize or empathize. That was beyond his ability. He had no intensity. He had no love. He had no compassion. He had no warmth. He was just mechanical and machine-like. And to many people, that's what they think God's like. He would be good to have on the flight deck when something goes wrong because he wouldn't panic. <laughs> he would be cool under pressure. He would be logical, dispassionate, wouldn't act irrationally. And he would punch in your problem to his great big cosmic computer and he would get some kind of analysis about that and then he would step back and let you get on with it and would have no part in helping. And to many people, that's what God is like. Some kind of something up there who has no dealings with us mere human beings. But a God like Mr. Spock would never make a great captain because he doesn't feel like you feel. And he doesn't feel what you feel. But our God... The God of the Bible is not like that. Amen. And even though he too is from another world, a world not like ours, but yet he entered into our world. And in this Advent season that we're in now reminds us 
that he did come into this world and that he came as a human being. He was God incarnate, that he clothed himself in human flesh and he became a man and he lived among us and he felt what we felt and he knows what we go through. He's been here, he's lived here and he's faced everything that we could possibly ever face. That's the God that we have. And although he himself, when he came, was absolutely perfect, yet as the old hymn says, he took our sins and our sorrows and he made them his very own. So thank God this morning that our God feels, is touched, has the capacity to know how you feel and know exactly where you are and what you're going through. And can not only sympathize and empathize, but enters into your needs and your problems and what you face in life. Because he sent his son to be here to face all those things, tempted in all points like as we are, yet without sin. And Hebrews chapter 4. And verse 15, For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace. That is why we can do this, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Don't ever think for one moment that God doesn't feel what we feel. That he is unconcerned about the state of this world, about the injustices, about the wars, about the hunger, where tonight untold millions will go to bed tonight with no food in their bellies. Hungry. Maybe been hungry for days. Don't think he doesn't feel about abortion, about millions and millions of little babies made in his image who are being slaughtered daily. Don't think he doesn't feel about abuse and inequality or sickness or disease. He does. Of course, that begs the question, does it not, that many people ask, well, if God is a God of love and mercy and compassion, why doesn't he do something? If God is all-powerful and almighty and he doesn't do something about it, then he can't be a God of love and mercy and compassion. That's the question that many uh, put up. But there's an answer to that. This is not the world that God originally intended. This is not the world that once was. The world was a paradise. God placed man in a paradise, but it became paradise lost. But thank God in the book of Revelation, it'll become paradise found again. Thank you, Lord. Because there was a 
a catastrophic event happened. Satan and sin entered into this paradise that God had created for man. And when that happened, and the fall of man happened, then ever since then, this world is in a mess. And Satan and sin has been the root of all of it. Everything. Satan is not mentioned until Genesis 3. And he's finally mentioned in Revelation 20. So the first two chapters of the Bible and the last two chapters of the Bible, he's not involved. It's only the bit in between where his fingerprints are everywhere. And that's when the injustice and the murder and the killing and the hunger and the disease and the pain and the agony, that's when it came in. You say, well, David, that's all fine. But why doesn't God just step in and stop it? <laughs> Be that as it may, and it is, why doesn't he just step in and stop the thing? Why doesn't he stop sin? Why doesn't he stop Satan? Why doesn't he stop inequality and injustice and pain and hunger and war and all of those things? Okay. Which part would you like him to stop? Murder? That'd be a good place to start. Exploitation of the weak and the vulnerable? That'd be good if he'd stop that. Terrorism? It takes so many lives. Why does he stop that? Or what about abortion? You think he should stop that? The 26 counties of the Republic of Ireland has just voted in favor of it, on demand, if you please. And when they got it, they were dancing in the streets. What if the God was to stop that? What if the God was to wipe out every abortionist and everyone who ever had an abortion? Should he stop pornography? A billion dollar industry? But then people would cry, but it's my human right. I could do whatever I want. You see, we're all very good at saying God should do this and God should do that and God should do the other. What if, what if he stopped our sins? What if he dealt out justice to us instead of mercy? What about lying and cheating? What about pride? What about all of that stuff that every human being does? Should he stop all of that? But he's given you and me a free will to make a choice to do what we want to do. Well, thank God Satan has already been dealt with on the cross sentence has already been served he awaits the execution and that will come surely the sinner question has already been dealt with on the cross the sin question I beg your pardon has already been dealt with on the cross because he died to save us from our sins but it's just the sinner question it's us as individuals that's the part that we have to decide, that we have to make a choice, a decision. Will we follow the Lord or will we continue to rebel against God? And that's our choice, isn't it? 
So don't tell me God doesn't care. He doesn't see. He's not interested. He is. For God so loved this world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. God has already proven beyond any doubt that he loves this world. Do you think God doesn't care about his church, his bride? What husband would not care about his wife? What kind of a husband would that be? What kind of a bridegroom would not care about his bride? What kind of a bridegroom would that be? God cares about his church, his bride. He's the bridegroom. He cares about worship. He cares about service. He cares about how we are his disciples. He cares about all of that. He's passionate about that. He feels about that. Jesus, when he was on this earth as God incarnate, God in human flesh, he got angry. Do you remember in the temple when he came and he saw the money changers who were robbing the people blind? Remember what he said? This, my father's house, is a house of prayer. You have made it a den of thieves. And he kicked over their tables and he made a whip of cords and he hounded them out of the house of God. He was angry. Righteous anger rose up in him. He felt sadness at the grave of Lazarus when he saw the weeping and the wailing and when he saw what sin had done because it brings death, when he saw what sin had done to that precious family whom he loved that he shared their table with many times and he wept, the shortest verse in the Bible, Jesus wept and he wept salt tears. That's how much he cared. Don't you think he laughed and smiled whenever he saw people getting healed? Wouldn't you love to have been there when he raised up Jairus' daughter from that deathbed? And I, I, I'm sure when he did that, I'm sure he looked at Jairus because Jairus would have a great big smile on his face and I'm sure Jesus smiled with him. Whenever the blind man came to Jesus and Jesus healed him, and the first person he saw when he opened his eyes was Jesus. And I'm sure Jesus was smiling, looking at what had happened. What am I trying to say? I'm trying to say that we serve a God who feels, who has feelings, who has passions, who has desires his touch with the feelings of our weaknesses and infirmities. He knew the pain of rejection and hurt and betrayal. He went through all of that. He knows exactly how that feels. Even we preached there a couple of weeks ago when we talked about the seven sins of Jesus on the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He felt forsaken even by his own father. So if any one of us ever feels forsaken, understand that Jesus knows exactly how that feels. He went through that. 
Zephaniah 3.17, the Lord rejoices over us. Hmm. I wonder what it's like to actually hear the Lord rejoicing. You know, whenever we have a period of worship that we've just had there a moment ago and we're singing and some of you have your hands up and others your eyes closed and but we can hear each other singing maybe you can hear yourself singing rejoicing what would it be like to hear the Lord himself rejoicing and all of heaven must hear it Deuteronomy 39 for the Lord will again rejoice over you for good as he rejoiced over your fathers. Jeremiah 32, 41. Yes, I will rejoice over them to do them good. Isaiah 65, 19. I will rejoice in Jerusalem and joy in my people. God is a God that rejoices, that has joy, that expresses that. And he rejoices over us. That's the amazing thing. Creatures of the dust but he rejoices over us. Parents, those of us who are parents, when our children were growing up as little ones, we loved to sing to them, didn't we? We sang to them. Huh. All the little nursery rhymes, all the little choruses, maybe the psalms, but we sang to them. And when our tiny little things, they don't understand the words we're saying. You could be singing anything. But it's the fact that you're singing to them and they hear your voice and they love that and they'll go asleep with you singing. I remember years and years and years ago, Sally and I were moving home and there was a period when things went pear-shaped and uh, we, we went to stay with, with Jason, Jason Dick, with his mum and dad and Jason and Stephen were just wee boys at the time, just wee, really wee boys. That shows our age. But anyway, uh, and his dad oftentimes would put them into bed. But the trouble is, William sang and sang and sang till they're wide awake. <laughs> and then he'd come up the hall and say, Evelyn, the boys are wide awake. She said, no wonder they're wide awake. You sang for half an hour to them. <laughs> but our children love us to sing to them. Imagine God singing over us because we're his little children. And he loves us. He delights in us. Micah 7, 18. Who is a God like you, pardoning iniquity and passing over the transgressions of the remnant of his heritage? He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in mercy. One translation says he delights in loving kindness. We want to love our children. We want the best for them. Uh, we want to express our love to them. We want to show them all the kindness we have because we want them to grow up feeling safe and loved and appreciated and wanted and needed. And that's good. Not every child gets that. And maybe some of you didn't get that. But that's what God wants. And so... Imagine when you understand this is what the Father God wants for me. He wants his loving kindness to touch my life. He wants to bless me. He wants the best for me. 
He wants me to grow up in him, knowing that I'm safe, that I'm loved, that he appreciates, that he just loves me. God is pleased with you. Hebrews 11 and 6. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. So the opposite of that is, if you have faith, you are pleasing God. It's a simple equation, isn't it? Every time you use your faith, even as a little grain of mustard seed faith, Every time you express your faith, it pleases the great heart of God. Because what you're saying is, God, I trust you. I believe in you. I honor your word. Your word is true. I can depend upon it. Can you imagine when your children, when they express trust towards you, dependency upon you, Believing in you, how does that make you feel? Makes you feel good, doesn't it? The great heart of God feels whenever we trust Him and we believe in Him and we lean on Him and we say, God, I believe in you. God, you're going to help me. Your word declares that and I trust your word above all things. That pleases the heart of God. Hebrews 13, 16, but do not forget to do good and to share, for with such sacrifices God is well pleased. Every time you help somebody, every time you use your energy or your labor or your money to help somebody else, it pleases the great heart of God. Because that's his nature coming out in you. Because God's a giving God. He's a loving God. So any, even a cup of cold water, Jesus says, given in my name. Just a cup of cold water, you'll get your reward for that. Sometimes you, we help people and we don't even think about it. Just do it. You know, you visit or you call or you give or whatever the case may be and you just do that. But God sees that, and it pleases his heart. He rejoices when you do that. God takes pleasure in you. Psalm 16 and 11. You will show me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy, and at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Isn't it lovely when somebody... It could be your partner, your husband, your wife, parents, somebody surprises you with something pleasurable, something that's delightful, something that's lovely. You didn't know it was coming. You had no idea. And there it happened. And you're all surprised, but you're glad. You're delighted, aren't you? I wonder what pleasures God has got in store for us, his children. Not just in this life, but in the next life. I wonder what in heaven throughout all eternity that God is going to surprise us with. <laughs> that God's going to give to us or show us or do with us. There's a whole eternity for us to find out. 
And just as we love as parents to surprise our kids and give them something or do something with them or take them out or whatever the case may be, they're all excited. You know, for a while, you remember they run the Disney ads for a while and the family was all sitting around the table and suddenly the parents announced, hey, we're going to Disney. And the kids erupted. They were so excited they couldn't believe they're going to Disney. What it'll be like when you get to the glory and God will just surprise you, surprise you, surprise you, surprise you. Life will just be one great big surprise eternally because he's so much to show us and give to us and lead us into. Psalm 149. Praise the Lord. Sing to the Lord a new song and his praise in the assembly of the saints. Let Israel rejoice in their maker. Let the children of Zion be joyful in their king. Let them praise his name with the dance. Let them sing, let them sing praises to him with the timbrel and the harp. For the Lord takes pleasure in his people. I'm trying to say this morning to you that God has got feelings towards you. Good feelings. Feelings of love and mercy and compassion constantly towards you. Luke 12, 32, Jesus said, Do not fear, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Don't you know that one day God is going to get you to rule his kingdom for him, under him? Don't you remember that Paul says that one day, that one day you will judge the very angels? Huh. What is ahead for us? His children. Revelation 4, 11, You are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they exist and were created. We were created for the pleasure of God. He had billions of angels, but he created us for his pleasure. And that's the amazing thing. Mere creatures of the dust can give God pleasure. He is our creator. We are his creation. We are the crown of his creation. Psalmist said we're made just a little lower than the angels, but one day we'll rule the very angels. God truly, truly loves you. He truly does. In Christ's great prayer for his church, not what we call the Lord's Prayer, the model prayer, but John 17, his great prayer for the church. Listen to what he says, verse 20. I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their words. So that's us, isn't it? That they may all be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me. And the glory which you gave me, I have given them, that they may be one just as we are one, I and them and you and me, that they may be made perfect in one, and that the world may know that you have sent me, and have loved them as you have loved me. If Jesus didn't say that, you couldn't believe it. 
that would be too much for us to believe. If some preacher just said that, you would say, well, hold on, wait a minute. You're, you're trying to tell me that, that God loves me as much as he loves his son. Now, that couldn't be true. But because Jesus said it here, it is true. It is literally true that Almighty God loves you just as much as he loves his own son. That's what Jesus said. You have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. Incredible. Don't tell me God doesn't have any feelings, that he doesn't care, that he doesn't see. He does. Such is his great love to us. In Ephesians chapter 3. Paul, in one of his great prayers, he says, for this, verse 14, for this reason I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and the length and the depth and the height to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. To know the love of Christ that passes knowledge. How can you know something that's beyond your knowledge? You know it in your heart. How can you describe love? What does a gram of love look like? What does a yard of love look like? Oftentimes, you see when you write those little things on Facebook or Twitter or whatever it is to somebody, I love you loads. What's loads of love look like? You can't explain it, but you can feel it, and you can express it, and you sense it, and you know when it's there, and you know when it's not there, even though you can't explain it. It passes our human knowledge. How much more the love of God? How do you begin to explain that in detail? But we believe it because we have felt it and we've experienced it and we have sensed it in our hearts Jude said in his little book keep yourselves in the love of God the best environment for you to grow as a believer is in the love of God knowing that God loves you truly loves you that's why John, the apostle, in all of his writings, kept talking about himself as that disciple whom Jesus loved. <laughs> he wasn't sure of everything in this world, but the one thing he was sure of, Jesus loves me. Oh, yes, I know he loves all the rest of them, but he loves me. <laughs> Keep yourselves, Jude said, in the love of God. I'm going to end this morning by reading you something which I've read to you before. But some of you haven't heard it. Those of you who have, it's good to hear it again. It's a little book by Max Lucado called You're Special. It was written for children. There's a great moral in it. So no matter what age you are, the moral holds true. Some of you have read it to your own children, I'm sure. I've read it to all my 
grandchildren. And whenever the little integrated school came here in the summertime, as they do every year, they go around all of the churches to get the history of the buildings and the people and so forth. I got tested to read this story to the children. The time before when they came, I went out and I got all the children this little book. And then I had to ask the headmistress because an integrated school and they, they had to be careful what they give out and give out because different religions. So I asked the headmistress, I said, look, take them with you. You read it. And if you think that's good enough to give to those kids, then go ahead and do it. I rang her a week later and she says, that was wonderful. I gave them all one of those. <laughs> Let me read it to you. It's about... It's about little wooden people. They're called the Wemex. And the woodcarver who made them is called Eli. So here's the story of the Wemex. The Wemex were small wooden people carved by a woodworker named Eli. Each Wemex was different. Some had big noses, others had large eyes, some were tall, others were short. Each Wemmick had a box of golden star stickers and grey dot stickers. The wooden people went around the village sticking stars or dots on one another. The pretty ones got stars. The Wemmicks with rough wood and chip paint got dots. The talented ones got stars too. Some could jump over tall boxes or sing pretty songs. Other though could do little and they got dots. Punchinello was one of these. He tried to jump high like the others, but he always fell. So the Wemex would give him dots. When he tried to explain why he fell, he would say something silly. So the Wemex would give him more dots. He deserves lots of dots, the wooden people would often say. And after a while, Punchinello believed them. I guess I'm not a good Wemex, he decided. So he stayed inside most of the time. When he did go outside, he hung around with other Wemex who had lots of dots. He felt better around them. One day he met a different kind of Wemmick named Lucia. She had no dots or stars. The Wemmicks admired Lucia for having no dots, so they would give her a star, but it would fall off. Others gave her a dot for having no stars, but it wouldn't stay either. That's the way I want to be, thought Punchinello. So he asked Lucia how she did it. It's easy, she replied. Every day I go visit Eli the woodcarver. Why? You'll find out if you go see him. Then Lucia turned and skipped away. But will he want to see me? Punchinella wondered. Later at home, he sat and watched the wooden people giving each other stars and dots. It's not right, he muttered to himself. And he decided to go and see Eli. Punchinella walked up the narrow path and stepped into Eli's shop. His eyes grew big. The stool was tall as he was. He had to stretch on tiptoe to see the top of the wood bench. Punchinello swallowed hard. I'm not staying here. Then he heard his name. Punchinello? The voice was deep and strong. How good to see you. Come, let me have a look at you. Punchinello looked up. You know my name? Of course, I made you. Eli picked him up and set him on the bench. Looks like you've been given some bad marks, said the maker. I didn't mean to, Eli. I really tried hard. Punchinello, I don't care what the other Wemmicks think. You don't? No, you shouldn't either. What they think doesn't matter. All that matters is what I think, and I think you're pretty special. 
punching him a laugh. Me? Special? Why? I'm not talented, and my paint is painting. Why do I matter to you? Eli spoke very softly. Because you are mine. That's why you matter to me. Punchinello didn't know what to say. Every day I'd be hoping you'd come, Eli explained. I came because I met Lucia, said Punchinello. Why don't the stickers stay on her? The maker spoke softly. Because she has decided that what I think is more important than what others think. The stickers only stick if you let them. What? The stickers only stick if they matter to you. The more you trust my love, the less you care about their stickers. I'm not sure I understand. Eli smiled. You will, but it will take time. For now, come to see me every day and let me remind you how much I care. Eli lifted Punchinello off the bench and set him on the ground. Remember, Eli said, as Punchinello was leaving, you are special because I made you, and I don't make mistakes. Punchinello didn't stop, but in his heart he thought, I think he really means it. And when he did, a dot fell to the ground. You see, that's the Father's heart towards each of us. Because he made us, he cares about us. He loves us. So it doesn't matter what the others think. It's what he thinks. And if you know what he thinks, you're going to be all right. Trust him. Let's pray. Lord, we just stop a moment in prayer. And we just allow ourselves to let that truth sink in. That you truly do love us. Undeserving of that as we are. Yet, the mystery of it is, you truly love us. And so thank you for your love that you loved us so much that you even gave your own son to come to this earth and die upon a cross for us. What love is this? And so we bless you today. Thank you that you rejoice over us because you love us. You rejoice over us with singing, your word says. So we give you thanks in return for all of your mercies towards us. In Christ's name. Thank you for listening to this podcast. We produce a variety of sermon videos and inspiring Christian content available for free on our YouTube channel. Just go to YouTube and search Moira Pentecostal or visit our website for more information, www.mpc.org.uk.